If you don't see you in the world, script your story. Create your life. Create ta propre vie. Create your life. Create your life. Create la tua vita. Create your life. On skip your life. You better create your life. <laughs> create your life. Create la vie. Create your life. Create your life. Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown, and today we are coming to you. Uh, and I actually have a really, really amazing guest in the studio here today. She's actually voted one of the most beautiful women in the world. Not that that's what, you know, she's all about. She has a lot more depth, but I just thought that that was very interesting. She's actually the first person that I've ever met who has been uh, rated one of the uh, most beautiful people in the world. So, you know, beauty goes more than skin deep. And uh, for this young lady, she has beauty and brains. Um, she is a native Washingtonian uh, from the Washington, D.C. area with Trinidadian African-American roots. She's an award-winning writer, actress, playwright, director, educator, and producer for both film and the stage. Sounds like a superhero to me. Kennedy is the founder and CEO of her multimedia production company, Sepia Works. She is the CEO, author, co-creator of the children's media brand Kalalu, originally conceived as a theatrical play. She has led her team in building Kalalu into a brand consisting of books, puppet shows, digital content, animation, arts, education, programming, and merchandise. She, uh, her first children's book, Kalalua Jazz Folktale, was published in 2013, in which she received the 2013 First Time Authors Award from the National Library of Trinidad and Tobago. Talk about the home team represented. Her one-woman play, Girls, 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 has been featured off-Broadway at national festivals and regional the- theaters. Her second play, Kalalua Jazz Folktale, was seen at the Ellington Theater and IATI Theater. For this work, she received a featured playwright at the she was a featured playwright at the 2013 Lincoln Center for Performing Arts Directors Lab. Beautiful people, I want you to say hello, but I also want her to say hello. Uh Marjuan Kennedy, please say hello to the Create Your Life series. Hi, Kevin. Create Your Life. Thanks, Kevin, for having me. Thank you for coming. Um and just being so flexible with your schedule. And this is actually amazing. I couldn't even go through your whole bio. I feel like I would have been here for another three you know, five minutes just talking about the great things that you accomplished. I feel like once I would have went through the bio, you know, we would have had nothing else to talk oh, about. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, man, uh, being so amazing and so dynamic, I guess my first thing that I have to ask uh, to you, you being that you, you know, you, you play right, you dance, you act, all of these things. How did you get into the arts? My parents, especially my mom, uh, really introduced me to you know, the arts in the D.C. area. And I went and saw a lot of shows and plays. Mm -hmm. Um, So it really just continued to push my interests um, in the arts. But I will say that 
being involved in sports as a child really helped me as a young woman because I gained a lot of just a competitive edge mm-hmm. and it taught me a lot of discipline that I think artists, um, especially actors need right. as you continue on your journey. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I really was just engulfed in the DC community, um, in the arts and, it just kept growing. I went to a performing arts high school in uh, D.C., similar to LaGuardia here in New York. Okay. It's called Duke Ellington School of Arts. Mm-hmm. So that really gave me the foundation, um, the technique to keep go, keep going, really. Right, right, right. Okay. So you got the technique, you got the technique started and things like that. I guess the other thing that I have to ask is your, your brand and your book, uh, Callaloo, both times that I mentioned it in your bio, it says a jazz folktale. So where did that come from, the interest in jazz? Yeah, actually, Callaloo um, originally started as a play that I wrote. It was my second play. Mm-hmm. And I never considered myself a writer. Um, I had been acting for so long. I went to college and grad school in New York. And I really didn't see a lot of roles out there for me. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got into writing. Um, but Callaloo was a play that I wrote where I wanted to explore my own identity as mm-hmm. being first generation Caribbean American and from a child's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically looking at the folklore and the legends that come from the Caribbean and the whole black diaspora Mm -hmm. and we developed this play uh, colleagues of mine it was um, inspired by my own uh, my own memories as a child Mm -hmm. and also a very good friend of mine Etienne Charles who's a jazz uh, Trinidadian jazz trumpet player and composer so I ended up creating this play around his music around my childhood and um, a friend of mine from high school came and saw the play and he saw it as a cartoon Mm. and uh, at the time I was doing film in LA and you know, we really just merged our interests and our backgrounds and started developing it from a play into a book, into animated digital content, into puppetry. So um, within a couple years, we created really a brand for kids to love culture and history. Mm. What? So that being said, can you tell us what exactly Callaloo is um, in terms of like a story? Like who are the characters uh, you know, give us some insight into Callaloo. I don't want to skip over that, you know. Sure. Well, Callaloo, um, really Callaloo is a food. And it comes exactly. from, um, it has roots in West Africa, but it's eaten all throughout the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. It's similar to collard greens or gumbo in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, in Trinidad, it's called Callaloo. In Puerto Rico, it's called asopao. But at the root of it, it's a spinach stew. Mm-hmm. So it's very symbolic for me why I named it Callaloo, um, right. to really pay homage to black diaspora culture and history and how everything is interconnected Mm -hmm. Um, and we share a lot of similarities culturally um, then then we are different Mm -hmm. Um, so that is really what Callaloo is but um, for my company Mm -hmm. um, it's a children's media brand so we promote cultural education and social awareness Mm -hmm. through all of our content that we make and we do it through our books through our live shows we have an arts education curriculum that goes along with it, um, as well as all of the digital content. So right now we actually have our main team is in D.C., but we have a team in New York as well as in L.A. too that helps build all this content. And we're all people of color, creatives of color who, to me, that's one of the most important things because 
it's it's we're creating an authentic voice for you know the children and the families that buy our content and um i think nowadays it's really important for you know people of color artists of color to understand that media making is so important that we're creating it from our own voices mm-hmm. and um and that we know what we're doing right. and, too reflects us like so you can see yourself right um, what what is your educational background? I know you went to a performing arts high school, but you also came up to New York. And so, tell yeah. us a bit about that. After high school, I moved to New York. Mm-hmm. I went to Fordham University, and I studied theater there, theater performance, and African American studies. Right. Um, and from there, I went on to NYU, and I studied uh, art and public policy in the Tisch School. So that was um, that was a great experience um, for grad school because it really changed the trajectory of how I saw myself as an artist. Mm. Um, I never saw myself as a traditional actor as much as I wanted to, you know, just be on Broadway and, you know, be in Hollywood, you know, work in Hollywood. Um, But really, I started to find my voice, you know, out here in New York, auditioning and failing a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing you know, successful artists, you know, we don't talk about as much. We don't talk about all the rejection and the hard work that went into it. It seems like all these great things are happening Mm -hmm. and they are, but I've also failed a lot. I've also worked, you know, six or seven jobs. Mm -hmm. I also lost a lot of friendships and relationships. Um, Because of the grind. Exactly. Can you tell us about, tell us those six jobs that you were working at that one time or just name a couple of them because like you said that is something that's not talked about and one big thing on the Create Your Life series is we want to get to the how so if you could tell us about that and I, I think I read in another um, interview that you did that you were you were getting denied um, parts in different pieces because someone said that they couldn't place you ethnically uh, in the parts so tell us about this, this, this grind in order to you know be seen and be heard Yeah. Uh, Well, when I got out of college, you know, I took a year and I was like, you know, I'm just going to be an actor. I'm going to be out here in New York. I'm just going to grind out. And it was great because I went full force. I Mm -hmm. think I I was I wasn't wait waiting tables, but I was doing catering. I was Mm -hmm. babysitting. I Mm -hmm. was working at a yoga studio. I was doing teaching artist work. Um, You know what we do in New York. You know, you got to you got to make it out. You got to grind. So, um, you know, but those lessons taught me what I didn't want to do, what I didn't Mm want to be spending my time doing. And as and I think you have to go through that. You have to go through, you know, working all these jobs and, Mm -hmm. you know, I won't say suffering, but um, in a sense, really waking you up. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I was doing that, you know, when I got out of college and going on a lot of auditions, rejected, like pretty much to everything. Mm -hmm. And I found that, you know, maybe I I wasn't fitting into the traditional um, the traditional roles that are out here more so for theater Mm -hmm. um, because my identity played a huge part in the roles that were available. Right. So, I mean, I will say I was pretty depressed and pretty frustrated. No, that's important um, to highlight. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that's really the thing that fueled me to create my own work because Mm -hmm. I was told I was, you know, not black enough. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, too fat. I was too short. I was, you know, not Latino enough. I didn't speak Spanish good enough. So there were all these things that I was not enough. Mm -hmm. And that was all those experiences. I mean, years, five, six years was that was the thing that, you know, made me want to create my one woman show Mm -hmm. and it allowed me a sense of freedom where I could play 10 characters and I could play all these different things because actually those were all parts of me right so you know there is a little bit of raunchiness in me where I could play 40 else and I could play that rapping you know what I'm saying but there's also a part of me where I can play like a white girl because like I grew up in a certain part of DC that I could tap into this white girl side of me Mm -hmm. so you know that was really a thing that woke me up for me to get comfortable with who I am. Mm-hmm. And that's the Kalaloo, that's the stew, right? Even <laughs> as people, we are, we're multidimensional. Right. And it, it is important because a lot of times people only see us in one light and it's like, look, you know, I've done all these different things. Like, prime example, people look at me and never think that I play college basketball. And I'm like, bro, like, for real. You know what I mean? And it's just so, t- so many times people try to put you in that box. Um, so... To own that grind, you know, you, you're dealing with depression. How did you make it out of, um, you know, how did you, what motivated you to keep going? And then also, um, yeah, what motivated you to keep going during that time? Well, I think once I started developing my one woman show, mm-hmm. I was figuring out, a, I was connecting the dots. Mm-hmm. I was, at the time, you know, I was fresh out of grad school and I knew I didn't want to work in the traditional sense of New York theater. Mm -hmm. And, but I also didn't have, you know, a team of people like working with me. So I really taught myself how to do a lot, how to, you know, I just Googled everything, honestly, you know, marketing. Um, I worked in college. I was part of my black student club. So I knew how, colleges could bring in live shows and performers so that was my first step I had this content and I just started reaching out to colleges like bring me to your bring me to your campus and I'll do this show and it allowed me time to actually develop the show Mm -hmm. where I wasn't 100% sure of what I was doing and I think that's the thing where a lot of artists and entrepreneurs get stuck where you're not 100% sure, so you give up on yourself. Where I was at least, I would say, 45, 50% sure this was good stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I, t- I toured around the colleges, like in the area, for mm-hmm. about a year. And I went from making $500, charging about $500 mm-hmm. for the show up to within three years charging $5,000 per show. So there was a sense of financial freedom that Mm -hmm. came from doing my own work Mm -hmm. and not putting in as much time to do other people's work where I said, okay, I'm not going back Mm -hmm. (laughs) after this. Like this is a, this is a model. Yeah. So on that journey to getting there, you know, from going for $500 a a show, you know, because I can't pay any bills here in New York city. um, What, what was it that kept you motivated on that journey? You know what I mean? Like, who was in your corner? What were some things that they were saying to you? You know what I mean? Because sometimes as artists, man, you just want to stick your head in a pillow all day. Yeah. So what was it that, you know what I mean, kept you, kept that fire in you? I can say that 
my family, my mom especially at mm-hmm. that time was so supportive of me. And um, it's funny because she always pushed me to, you know, do what I wanted to do. But I remember when I got out of grad school, she said, you know, when are you going to get a job? I will never forget that oh, my yeah. mom said that, like, when are you going to get a real job? And I was so heartbroken mm-hmm. when I performed my one woman show off Broadway and she saw it. She was amazed. Like mm-hmm. she said, never get a job, never get a real really? job. Oh, yeah. Mom. So my mom was like a huge support for yeah, me. Yeah. And she was one of the main inspirations for Kalalu as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having a supportive family, mm-hmm. um, as well as, you know, making girls, 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 those were all my friends. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, networking within, you know, who, who was already around me using right, right, my resources. Right. So my friends, um, even boyfriends at the time, you know, they were very supportive. Um, I learned how to edit. I learned how to direct. I learned, I learned a lot of skills from people in my corner that supported me. Okay. What would you say is your superpower that you gained from that grind? Right. You know, like getting up there and starting, you know, getting all those rejections and stuff like that. What, what do you feel like is something that really you know, came out of that, the, the new marijuana. From all the rejections? Yeah, I mean, because, you know, you go through this period of time. Like, for mm. me, like, I grew up in foster care my whole life, right? And if I had to sum that up and, and, and say what it is that that did for me, it's I know that I can't be broken. Like, there's you can't break me. You know what I mean? Like, I, if there's one thing that I know that I can do, it's mm. endure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or overcome whatever's in front of me. So, like, what... What did that teach you about yourself and, and, you know? From all the rejections, I'd say that no one can outwork me exactly. when it comes to actually creating the work and producing it. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And if you doubt me, it just is that fuel. And that's what I'm saying. Like, as a young woman, playing sports, like, really mm-hmm. helped me to to feel that edge in me that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you could be more talented than me. You can have a better voice than me. Mm -hmm. You could be skinnier. You could look better, whatever it is, but Mm -hmm. you're not going to outwork me. I'm going to find a way to get it done. And, you know, I will say that as a child, I was actually very shy and being able to perform and create my own work. It gave me a sense of courage in myself that, um, I don't think I would have ever gotten doing anything else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, tell us about this play, Girls, Girls, Girls. You know, um, you play 10 different characters. That sounds like a huge amount of work um, and, and sounds a little tiring, too. So tell us, oh, man. Yeah. Tell us about this, uh, <laughs> you know, this this work of art that you've done. Yeah. um, Well, Girls, 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 I started working on it in grad school. Mm -hmm. I had never written anything before, but Mm -hmm. I was so frustrated with, you know, just what was out here for, you know, women of color, young actresses. And um, honestly, I was really trying to get out of writing a thesis in grad school. So I just went to my you know, my chair, like, okay, I'm going to write a play. And um, I use the style of satire, um, very similar to In Living Color, mm-hmm. Dave, the Chappelle show, mm-hmm. sketch comedy, to talk about very serious issues for me um, mm-hmm. as a black woman, a woman of color, trying mm-hmm. to work in, you know, 
the public sphere and how identity plays a huge part in how people see me. Mm. And so the play stems from um, this fictional story where this rapper, 40 Ounce, is having auditions for his music video, Pussy Rims, and he's looking for <laughs> Jervis. <laughs> oh, I'm already. I already read the. I watched. Oh, okay, the, I, watched okay. the, I watched the clip and everything. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because people, especially when I'm doing a pussy rims, uh, pussy rims rap. We gonna need to get some of these characters <laughs> in this interview. I just want you to know that that we know that that you know. People that. are always shocked because you know they see me physically and it's like. Oh, you know, she's so attractive and, you know, she's I have the I have a certain look. Yeah, right. She was voted one of the most beautiful women in the world. Yo. Just putting it out there. Go ahead. <laughs> so, um, OK, I'm going to go back to the, the actual run. structure of the show. So 40 Ounce is looking for his auditions. Actually, it was inspired by um, Plies, Busted Plies, Baby. Busted Baby. Yeah, I'll be doing my research. You're doing your homework. Uh, Plies, Busted Baby, which was an actual thing you know Mm -hmm. on tv there was girls auditioning to be his new busted baby so i took a lot of video vixen y'all sorry yeah i took Mm -hmm. a lot of what was already out here in hip-hop in pop culture Uh that we were and still are being fed Mm -hmm. and it was really inside you know a a comical but you know through satire Mm it's serious it's making you think like why do I listen to this? How is this affecting, you know, young people? How how men interact with women, mm-hmm. how black interacts with white, Latino interacts with black, and how we all work together and live together in and how public media affects us. So, um, yeah, I mean, the show is 10 characters and all of them are affected by one another, but they don't know each other, all surrounding black women's body politics, hip hop, history, race mm-hmm. politics. And by the end, you know, you're kind of left with there is no right or wrong answer. Mm. You have to come to a decision for yourself. So within four or five years, we toured the show to about 30 colleges. Um, we're actually working on a documentary now, finishing that up. Um and got to meet incredible women who work in the community around women and girls issues. So it's been a really wild journey with that show. I love it. Um, well, there, tell us more about the, the different uh, characters. I know you probably can't, well, you probably could name all 10 of them off the, uh, off the top of your head, but can you give us like a, a little sample of a couple of them? Cause I know I saw some Sarah Bartman jeans or something like that in the, in the uh in the real and I know who Sarah Bart Bartman was. Yeah. Um and so yeah, if you could just shed some light light on us. Sure. Uh well there are ten characters. Um Beverly Bruschetta is one of <laughs> <laughs> I mean just just saying some of these characters' names are it. you know are funny enough. It's creative. Um, yeah, so if people ask me like how'd you come up with Beverly Bruschetta, that name and I was like I was I was writing and I was eating some bruschetta right. and I just said, oh, Beverly Bruschetta and it's stuck. So Beverly Bruschetta is really one of the main characters. Mm-hmm. Um, she runs this network, mm-hmm. um, the Black Women's Network. And funny enough, it's like it's kind of funny because the play 
At the time, I started writing in 2010, and I thought, what if there was a black woman's network on TV? What would what would be the content? And mm-hmm. now we have Centric. Mm-hmm. Before, it wasn't there. But my idea was that Beverly Bruchetto, who's very much inspired by Wendy Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a little bit of Oprah, right? Oprah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, she hosts all these crazy shows, have all these guests, and it's just... She's she controls people through the media, um, but she's also trapped in it in herself and is detrimental to her own, you know, her own psyche. So Beverly Bruchetta is one. Forty Ounce is a rapper um, who is really kind of the thread. His music is the thread. You only see him for a couple minutes Mm -hmm. in the show. But his song Pussy Rims you know, connects so many different people. Um, Sarah Bartman, who um, was an actual woman from South Africa, Mm -hmm. she is partnering with 40 Ounce, selling her jeans, Bartman Bottom Jeans, which is a spin on um, Apple Bottom Jeans. Um, And she's trapped in this psyche of, you know, should I sell myself? How do I profit off of for her? her bottom, um, which we see a lot of today still. And but also Sarah Bartman was um was put on display at zoos mm-hmm. um because she had a, a huge bottom. Um and basically kinda like ridiculed, like sexualized and, and made uh fun of and things like that. So I just wanna let the audience Yeah, and I think uh, that character especially um it means a lot to me. And it was actually one of the hardest monologues mm-hmm. I remember rehearsing, you know, trying to figure out where she fit mm-hmm. um, because she she is the only person that is a real person, mm-hmm. a real woman. Right. Um, and it was a very serious topic of her whole, you know, her whole life, you know, and a lot of people don't know about her. So I remember especially going to colleges doing the show, you know, kids would come up to me and be like, Oh, I never heard of that person, Sarah Bartman, or, you know, Mm -hmm. they would want to go and do some more research. So um, that particular character opened my eyes to, I mean, I always knew the power of theater and performance, but Mm -hmm. how, how even I have to be aware and be critical about the content that I create. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I learned about Sarah Bartman when I was in college and I was a black studies major. I was... 22 um and these are kids who are maybe 16 17 who are just learning about her and Mm -hmm. opening their mind up to you know a lot of things that have been hidden from us in history can you give us like a sample of some of those personalities of the other people in your play i'm just want to see it in person person. (laughs) and i can't curse right preferably not i can edit it out so if you need to you know it can be edited <laughs> Just do what you do. I'll take care of it. Just okay. do what you do. I'll okay. take care of it. Well, it's not real cursing, but you know. Good afternoon and welcome to the BWN Newsroom. I'm Beverly Bruchetta reporting on the most critical issues facing black women today, from politics to entertainment and everything else in between. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to hand it over to 40 Ounce. Uh, he's got the, the the latest hit. It's called Pussy Rims. Uh, 40? 40, are you there? Uh, what's up, Bev? You know what I'm saying? Kevin, you know what I'm saying? We in here. We in here. Create your life. Create your life series. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, you know, we're about to give you a sneak peek of the remix real quick. Pussy Rims, you know, it's the hottest track out right now. 
right? <clears throat> and I, I got my boy Jason over here, gutter money, gutter money, Jason. I want right. to hear the rap now. I'm like, All right, I, I'm going to give you the rap. I'm going to give you the rap. You wildin', Kevin. You wildin'. Coming. Got some heat coming. All right. <clears throat> Damn, shorty got a hair down her back with her ass so fat and the waist like a tic-tac. Yo, that's how I like my hoes. They drop it real low, bounce that shit like a yo-yo. Yo, I don't know how she get apartment bottom jeans on or with a thong on stank panties up a crack. Rat-tat-tat, like that from the back. Uh, come on, baby, I get pussy and rims. What? I get pussy and rims. I mean, that's all I got. That's all I got right now. You know what I'm saying? That's all I got. Wow. I'm a round of applause that, though. You're very talented. Like, that was the voice that you've been using this whole time. You know, and that was with no warm up, okay? Yeah, <laughs> that was like right that. on the spot. That's that, that's that real talent. You know, <laughs> you could just hop in the character, you know, and do what you do, what you're great at. Thank you. Um, we're, we're talking about that and the positive image uh, that's necessary for women. Uh, how do you feel like uh, Girls, Girls, Girls has sparked conversation and what has been some of the feedback um, that you've gotten in regards to the actual um, art itself? Yeah. Um, well, what I think the actual performance style you know, it's it's interesting because when I started performing it, mm-hmm. a lot of young people especially, they were just amazed at how I could play so many different characters. And they didn't really understand that, you know, I had went to school for theater and right. it was an actual technique mm-hmm. and the, stu- the style of solo theater I studied for a long time. So Whoopi Goldberg's One Woman Show, I was, love her one woman show. was a huge inspiration for mm-hmm. me. Um, and I, I studied how solo performances are the best ways to perform them. And um, it's really just raw. It's just me on stage, all black with a few props. So I really wanted from a stylistic point of view for people to respect me as an artist as a performer and I, and I tell you I performed everywhere like the train you know off broadway schools parks anywhere so i think that was a thing that really got me to you know it gave me a lot of confidence as a performer so many years of being rejected mm-hmm. and not not really seeing myself in you know moving up in terms of the acting world. Um, I got I got a lot of respect, and mm. I got to perform really all over the world through this show. So not only from the artistic side, but, you know, working with young people, and, you know, that was another thing that sparked, you know, what I really want to be doing as an artist, as a creative, as working in education. How can I create work that brings, you know, especially youth of color to the theater? When you go to these Broadway shows or you go to more commercial theater, you one, you hardly see people of color there, mm-hmm. but then you don't see young people there and seeing work that they can relate to. You should have seen, um, we had a cast, the cast of Sinking Inc., on uh, the show a few months back. They just mm-hmm. finished up their play. It was hip-hop at the theater, though. Okay. It was an amazing play. I went, like, two or three times. Yeah. Uh, Nisangu um, Nisham, Nikam, I think I pronounced his last, last name uh, incorrectly, but they that was a phenomenal piece of work. Um, a lot of times, artists, they, they fail to become profitable or to be able to make a living solely doing the art. It seems like you've done that. 
or that you're doing it as well. Um, what what are some of the keys? Can you give us like three strategies that you've learned? I know you said something about uh, you know finances as well being something that you've been able to master. But what are some some three like three tips you would give somebody who's an artist who needs to make sure that they can pay their rent with their art solely? I mean, one I'd say you really got to think out of the box. You know. Um, like I said with my one-woman show, that I didn't necessarily go the traditional route of finding a theater to back me and, like, waiting, waiting around for somebody to give me something. So at some point, you just got to do it. You just got to figure out a way to get it done. You know, you say you want to do something, just figure Figure it out in terms of resources. Mm -hmm. So thinking out of the box and building your resources. What do you have right now? Instead of looking at it from, you know, I'm not where I want to be even right now. Mm -hmm. You know, but what do I have around me? Who are the people in my network that can help me and assist me? Um, and in a in a real authentic way, not in a way where like you're just taking from other people, but you're inspiring other people, you're empowering other people. So I'd say that and um, building your team, building your team is so important. You know, in the beginning, I was doing, you know, pretty much everything. And even now with Callaloo, there's two or three of us who do everything right. the core of everything mm -hmm. but you know at this point we have assistant writers we have editors we have you know videographers we have actors um and the goal you know with that is i don't want it to just be about me mm -hmm. i want it i want actors of color you know to have a place where they can create you know where they can be valued because i know what it's like to step into a room and not feel respected and not feel like you know, the director is just seeing me, you know, one dimensionally. So mm -hmm. um, that's important. And I think the last tip, just keep learning. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't know something, just just go to a library, you know, mm -hmm. go 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 to Google, look it up. Um, I tell people with Callaloo. You know, people think actually we were picked up by this big publisher and, you know, no, we did everything ourselves. We're self-published. Um, my business partner and I, we, we didn't know how to make kids books, but I was a, I was a storyteller. He was a visual artist. Mm -hmm. and we figured that out. We learned how to format books, how to market them, how to create press releases. And so the business side mm -hmm. is the side that... You can't be afraid of, mm -hmm. you know, if you don't know anything about marketing, either you learn the basics or you invest in in those people that can right. that can help you. So um, learning, learning, learning is so important. I mean, I'm always I'm, I'm a huge nerd, so <laughs> I'm, I'm always learning. I'm always going to the library. I'm always it's that curiosity mm -hmm. that as a child. I was always curious and I was always asking questions. So mm -hmm. even when I teach, you know, I teach like little ones from three up until the university level. Right. I always give them an opportunity to ask questions mm -hmm. because it's not just about me telling you, mm -hmm. you know, this is the history. This is how you do it. But 
what what's your voice? Yeah. What do you think? And mm-hmm. I think that's what's missing a lot in education. Um, teachers are just always telling right. telling Instead the students to repeat it. But um, luckily for me, I had amazing teachers that allowed me to think critically and um, and even from you know an academic side that mm-hmm. I I really wanted to be I wanted to be like Zora Neale Hurston. I mean, I still do. She's one of my you know, my role models, Zora Neale Hurston, Lorraine Hansberry, you know, artists, but also scholars, thinkers, activists. Um, So I encourage, you know, my friends, artists, and even my, my students, you know, you can't just be one thing. Mm -hmm. You can't just be an actress. What about those other sides of you? Not all of us are going to be entrepreneurs or be, or be activists, but there are parts of yourself that you have to discover. Right. You're a multidimensional uh, young lady. You also, you know, in that being an artist, a lot of times as artists, we have a lot of ideas and <laughs> yes. different things that flow through, right? We're influenced. Oh, we see somebody else being successful at something. We go try that for a second. It's like, no, we can't do that. You know, we have to We learn to actually just stay in our lanes. What was it about Kalaloo that made you say, you know what? This is the idea that I'm going to stick to and that I'm going to build on. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that I've, I, I still struggle with this because I always have ideas. I have a little book of, you know, all my ideas that I just, mm-hmm. I could be on the train, I could be driving, I could be in the shower, and I just come up with these ideas. Mm-hmm. But it's the right time, right time for certain ideas to come to fruition. Um, but with Kalaloo, I knew that these stories were meaningful. They mattered. Um, not only because, I mean, it was my childhood, but when I started to do that research, when I started talking to elders, when I started to cross between not just my culture, but tapping into Latino culture, into, you know, even Asian cultures and seeing how, these are stories that traditionally we don't hear about that, mm-hmm. you know, let's say Walt Disney Company, they've profited right. millions, billions of dollars off of European folktales and have never really talked about black, Latino, Eastern storytelling. Mm-hmm. So I knew that they were they were important and it, it was just a way of getting you know creating the content in a way that um was authentic mm-hmm. but i will say maybe this is not the right word but to make it sexy to mm-hmm. make it sell mm-hmm. and partly that's the business side of it where we have artists of color who are creating this um, creating this world, this Kalaloo world that makes people want to, you know, want to have us. And I think um, as time went on <laughs> four, four years later, um, we're getting calls from Sesame Street, from Nickelodeon, right, right. from, you know, and, it, and that wasn't necessarily the goal. The goal was just to get the story out. But how did you know that this was the thing that you needed to focus on? You know, what was that defining moment? Can you boil it down to like one experience when you was like, you know what, we got something. This is what I need to run with. At the time I was living in L.A. and I was still 
I was still trying to, you know, make it as an actress um, in TV and film, which I'm actually glad I went out there and did all of that because Mm -hmm. it taught me a lot about what myself and what I shouldn't be focusing my energy on Mm -hmm. and what my actual skills were. Mm -hmm. Um, So the last like six months I was in L.A., uh, 2014, we were just getting booked so much with Kalalu. I was literally coming back to the East Coast like every two weeks. Yeah. And I mean, it was ranging from, you know, embassy performances to, you know, museums to TV appearances. And it it was like we were on fire and I couldn't right. I couldn't keep denying that, you know, we had something. Um, so that was I think that was the thing a couple of years ago that made me shift my focus that mm-hmm. um, I had to put everything else on hold so mm-hmm. I could really go in, go in and figure out what this is. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first it was just a play. Then it was just a book. Right, but it took a, it took about a year to really a year and a half, two years to really understand that this was a brand and this was um it, it it's much bigger than just selling a book. We're selling a lifestyle for kids, for right. all kids, to appreciate culture, um, and especially black <laughs> diaspora culture. Okay. How hard has it been to create this brand and to build it? And then I also want to know, when you, when you were coming back to the East Coast, did you already have the team set up, or did the team, like, slowly build uh, after you had already j- kind of jumped out the window and started doing Kalaloo? It was hard. I tell, mean. tell us about it. <laughs> you know, tell us some of the challenges, you know, because oftentimes, <sighs> you know, you listen to interviews and people tell you they're what, what they're doing now currently, yeah. and they tell you they're why, right? But the only thing that you can actually duplicate is the how. And so, like, tell us about, you know, some of the challenges that you had. Tell us about the triumphs. I mean, the triumph is, is where you are now. But, you know, what, what were some of the things that you had to overcome? Because I feel like our listeners really need that opportunity to see inside. If they want to be like Marjorie Kennedy, then they need to understand what it takes, you know, and what you're doing on a on a consistent basis in order to be great. Yeah, I mean, I think when we first started, it was a shift for me that I really had to be a leader mm-hmm. and I had to stop shying away from delegating and figuring out all of the nuts and bolts to make it work. Um, And it was difficult for me because I never considered myself a writer. So that was one thing, you know, now I have to write all this content. Like, what am I doing? You know, and I'm writing for children, children's books. So Mm -hmm. I would spend hours in the library. Like, you know, my friends are partying, you know, traveling there with their boyfriends, girl, like, you know, they're living their lives, their mid late twenties. And I'm in the library reading children's books for hours or, you know, trying to dissect, you know, what worked, um, for Gullah Gullah Island. And then why did they fail? And like, you know, really, submerging myself Mm -hmm. into this and I spent countless nights (laughs) for months years um with my business partner Nabi you know figuring things out and it was scary because I didn't know why I was doing this I just had this I had this sense you know Mm -hmm. this is what I was supposed to be doing and at the time it was just my business partner and I I mean we were 
we were, it was like we were crazy. <laughs> you know, you know, nobody mm-hmm. we nobody at the time really believed in us except for our immediate, you know, family. Mm-hmm. Um, we submitted to a lot of literary agents and, you know, we went we went the right way and mm-hmm. we got rejected, you know. And like I said before, when you reject me, I just want to prove you wrong <laughs> on top of that. So, I mean, it was, I would say just in the beginning process, um, it was very lonely. You know, I spent countless nights and months, days, months, um, just creating the content and not fully sure of what I was doing. Um And now looking back at it, like when I look at the first book compared right now, we're working on our third book. Mm -hmm. I can see the growth that I've had just as a writer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, looking back like, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that or, you know. But at the time, that's where I was at Mm -hmm. as a creative. Um, And then assembling a team that took time as well to figure out, okay, what do I really want? And being very stern about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think as a woman, you know, business owner and a director, um, I can, you know, I'm, I'm a nice person. I'm bubbly. I'm kind, but it took time for me to, you know, tell even my business partner, like, this is what I want and Mm -hmm. this is what I think is best. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course I've made mistakes, Mm -hmm. but knowing that I have a sense of, you know, what I want and I'm calling the shots and being okay with it, Mm -hmm. Um, which still, it's still a growing process where you have to, you have to find mentors and you have to find people that you trust that Mm -hmm. can help you in those, that decision-making what does your peer group look like? The people that you're around, like who who are those people? You know, on a consistent basis. I was just telling Jason, my friend. Um, I was just telling him, like, on the way here, how mm-hmm. important friendships are, mm-hmm. and how the people you surround yourself with mm-hmm. um, really dictate, you know, who you are, who you're spending your time with, and my friends. My friends are incredible. Sometimes I, I mean, I look at my friends like, you know, Beyonce's like reposting them, their work. And, you know, they're just inspiring that if I'm having a low day or a bad day, I can, I can just hit up one of my friends. I mean, texting, no matter how busy they are. Yeah. And they're there like just, and it's not even about, you know. It's not about, you know, boasting Mm -hmm. that, oh, I'm working with this person and you're not. But, you know, being there to support them. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think all of my friends are at different levels. But at the core of it, you know, I always say if my friend is winning, I'm winning because we're all in this together. Um, If I'm going to the top, I'm taking the people. Yeah, you're taking the squad. (laughs) I'm taking the squad right with me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, What are some misconceptions about creating a media brand that you feel others need to know? Hmm. Well, misconception that it's easy and it happens overnight. And (laughs) I mean, that's one of the big things. Wow. A lot of times people don't talk about those hours in the library, right? I mean, the research alone, the thought, the thought process. I was someone... Someone told me a couple days ago, I mean, 
I won't say any names, but they were like, oh, you know, you should have a Jewish character and you could have this character. And, you know, but you're failing to realize it's taken us about a year to make one character. And then all of the choices of products Mm -hmm. and outreach and development comes from those characters. So it's not something that, yeah, I could see all these different characters, but the timing is not right. And yeah. w- and at a certain time, you have to, s- wherever you are in your business and your brand, mm-hmm. you have to make those hard decisions of what is feasible, what is possible, what you, what, what can be scaled right now and what you have to think about in the future based off of where you are financially, who your team is, what can you you know, how how you can build with your audience. So it's not it's not going to happen overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, do the research, do the homework, yeah. see who your competition is. And I read something a while ago that said, um, you know, especially for podcasting, being on the radio, it said go in there and look at your competition's negative comments. And that'll help you actually even build your business. But something else that you said um, – that makes a lot of sense to me is that everybody's going to want to hop on your bandwagon at some point (laughs) or they're going to try to give you instruction about what it is that you do. And I actually experienced that today. Somebody slid in my DMs and was like, we should do a podcast together. And I'm like, did you, have you been missing the last two years that we've been on radio? You know, I didn't say that, but, and it was like, oh, we should do something around education. And I'm kind of like, you, 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 you're not following what I'm yeah. doing. You just jumped in because I wrote a book on how to graduate college for free, but you're not, you know what I mean? You're not in in, uh, in tune with what's going on. But, you know, everybody, you know, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. And it's like you really have to trust your gut. Definitely. Um, and like you said, you know, for those two years, you know, or those, those few years where it was just you and your business partner, you know what I mean? Y'all just had this desire in your gut that helped you know, I need to be doing something else. I need to be doing things different. That's a great point because I still make decisions really based on my gut. Mm -hmm. I can sense. Yes, I look at, you know, the logistics and, you know, my accounting person, you know, we look at. We look at that, but it's also a feeling like, you know, this isn't right for the brand. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't work with somebody like this just based off of their history or their integrity Mm -hmm. or, you know, just a feeling that I have. And I think as I continue to grow, I'm learning, you know, I've made mistakes where I've worked with people just because I thought I could get some good press and it really didn't matter. I ended up, you know, Mm -hmm. breaking my neck and staying, you know, late and, you know, it ended up hurting me in different ways. So that saying that there. Once you once you have a little bit of success, people are going to try to tell you what you should be doing Mm -hmm. when you know deep down what you want to be doing and what is possible. Mm -hmm. So making those hard decisions for yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, it's something you got to talk to yourself like, Marjorie, what are you doing? No, you don't want to work with this company. Your goal is to work with Netflix, HBO, these people. So everything that you do has to take you in that direction. Mm -hmm. You that. have to say no. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Say no sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, how do you measure the difference or the change in your in your audience members or people who have the opportunity to experience Kalalu or your other works? Hmm. 
These are some good questions. Hey, oh, that this homework, that research. Life, you know. You said measure the experience. Yeah, you know, just to, you know, like, have you, are there any particular stories where you've seen someone, like, walk away, like, wow, you know, this changed my life? Like, do you remember anything specifically? Or do you guys try to measure, you know what I mean, like, how people are being impacted by Kalalu? Yeah, by, yeah. By Sepia Works. Well, with Kalalu specifically, I mean, I see it with the kids. Mm -hmm. You know, just how, just how happy they are. Mm-hmm. And it's it's difficult to measure it in terms of um, numbers, but mm -hmm. when kids send me thank you notes, when they make videos and they send it to me, or parents, I mean parents send parents oh, cool. send me send me so much all the time, pictures and. Um, just how much they love the content, how they're ready for the next book or the next, you know, story. Like, when's mm -hmm. the next thing coming out? Um, so that actual live, you know, that interaction mm -hmm. that, you know, sometimes, you know, working for maybe the Disney company or larger companies, you don't get to know right. what the customer actually mm -hmm. wants, thinks, and feels. Um, so as much as I can, even, you know, when I do plays, I always want that, audience interaction you know a talk back or find out you know what did you think about this because in my mind you know or my team we create the work but then when we give it out to the world right this is it's open for you it becomes part of you you have Kalalu on your shelves now so to know that Kalalu started in my living room mm -hmm. just writing on the floor of my apartment in LA mm -hmm. um working three or four jobs right. now you know kids all over the world have Kalalu from you know Africa to Europe to all over the U.S. South America the Caribbean and people are constantly you know telling me you know kids how they love Winston they love Marisol you know they now they want to go to New York oh kids tell me this all the time Mm -hmm. When they come to New York, they want to take the magical subway train. Nice. <laughs> because that's that's like a the main how all the kids get to these countries from this magical train. Mm -hmm. So parents tell me that, you know, kids that maybe live in California or like never been to New York, like, right. is the train really magical? <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> I love it. So I wanna I wanna flip it a little bit and ask you this question. You know, you we've we've talked a little bit more um about the importance of women um, and, you know, what they represent, especially in media. Being voted uh, one of the 19 most beautiful women in the world, how does that, uh, what did that mean to you and uh, how did that make you feel as well, you know, and what, what, are, you, like, what are your thoughts around that, getting that type of uh, label or recognition? Yeah, um, well, Caribbean Current voted me um, a couple of years ago, I believe, and I was honestly, I was, I was a little shocked. Um, I, I can see why, I know why women put so much into their exterior mm -hmm. because of what society wants women, wants women to, how they want women to operate and function. And I'm not saying men don't at the same time, but it's different. And I think, honestly, it didn't mean that much to me. 
<laughs> okay. Um, because I don't, I don't walk around thinking what I thinking so much about what my physical, um, what my physical being says to the world. Right. I understand it, and it it gets me into rooms sometimes. But it also, from my past, it it has pushed me out of rooms or there's been stereotypes because, you know, I may look a certain way or if you may be attractive, you're not intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will say that when I was little, mm-hmm. I was a little girl. I remember family members, um, relatives. They always used to say how pretty I was. And deep down, I really, I hated it mm-hmm. because that was all that people could talk about when it came to me. Right. So I know how beauty affects women Mm -hmm. and you can use it for a positive. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it can also be very limiting for women, um, just women, young women developing that we're so concentrated on what we look like. Are we developing our mental? Are we developing spiritually? And I think that's the real beauty that this is never, I mean, I'm not a finished product as no one is, but I'm taking steps to, you know, find out who I really am. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the light. I think when you see a beautiful being, right. you know, the whole person. Yeah. You're, you're seeing the whole person. You're seeing someone who is doing the work on themselves right. physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, but it gets detrimental. I think when media <laughs> only gives that message to young women that they should only be concerned about aesthetics. The, right, the aesthetics and the outer. Um, that's just one one little part of mm-hmm. who you are. Right, and, and I feel like we said that earlier. You know, you're a multidimensional person. Uh, I want to switch back and ask one more question about Kalalu before we j- dive into the dolphin tank. Before you did Kalalu, did you um, do any customer uh, development or uh, discovery? You know, did you go out and say, hey, well, you know, would you like to... Uh, would you be interested in a, in a children's book or children's brand about, yeah, like a focus groups or anything like that? Did you go out and survey anything like that, or did you just go straight with the gut? We didn't do traditional focus groups. Mm-hmm. Um, we created the book, and honestly, we had no plan for it. Gotcha. And I think sometimes we were talking about your gut, following your gut, Um there's a balance that I have where, you know, sometimes creatively, just as an artist, like, I just got to get this out. I may not have a plan. <laughs> um, so f- in the beginning, Kalalu was just something I had to get out. Like, I right. was tired of doing girls, girls, girls. I just wanted something new. And then when my business partner approached me, I was, sh- I mean, I was really shocked that, you know, he believed in it. Yeah believed in the actual story. Mm -hmm. Um, And I respected him as an artist as well, that we didn't necessarily have everything figured out. Mm -hmm. That once we created the book, we did little readings. And when we did the readings in the community, we found that having something 
because I'm my background's in theater, it was much more a theatrical experience. So right. our focus group really came from going out, doing these readings. Mm-hmm. When I tell you that first year, we must have de- did like 50, 60 performances for free, just mm-hmm. figuring out how do we perform this? Mm-hmm. And my business partner, when they showed up with this puppet, yeah, he I, went I behind my back. <laughs> I told him, don't do it, which I'm glad he did. He went behind my back, got this puppet puppet builder from Sesame Street to build our main character. And it changed everything mm-hmm. because now we were performers who had per, who were performing our own book with a with within the puppeteering style, which you hardly see performers of color, actors of color working in this style. So our focus group really became walking around with our puppet in the community and engaging with people and figuring out, you know, what did they like about this puppet? What Mm -hmm. did they like about this book? Mm -hmm. And it became instant. Then we got a second puppet. Now we have a third puppet. Now we're training other actors to work in the puppets, puppetry style. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it was by mistake, by accident, um, going out in the street, Mm -hmm. grassroots style and Mm -hmm. not necessarily sitting in a room and like, okay, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And now we're going to, you know, we're going to bring in these major brands and in the traditional sense, because we didn't have that. We didn't have those resources. Um, Yeah. So in a traditional sense, we didn't, we didn't, you know, do focus groups or um, try to figure out how to acquire customers, but we looked at our own community and what was missing. Mm -hmm. And I think when artists want to create work where they can profit from it, you really have to think about what is missing. How can you, you know, just like any product, Mm -hmm. why do I buy this water over this water? You know, what is missing? Is it the price point? Is it, you know, is it the material that's in the water? So, Mm -hmm we realized very early on that there was no one, we didn't really have competition in the sense of artists of color, a business of color that was creating content for children of color in a lot of different platforms. There are a lot of authors and illustrators of color who have children's books that are independent, but they also don't perform. They also don't do puppets. They also don't do animation. They don't do all these things. So you made yourself, uh, you, you carved out a niche. Yes. I like that. And you, you did, you did a lot of customer development. If you did those 60, um, plays, that's where you find out what worked and what didn't. And I think the other thing is really figuring out people might say that they want something, but will they pay for it? Right. Those are two completely different things. <laughs> and a lot of times, you know, the validation for an idea or, you know, serving a need is currency, period. Definitely. You know? And you got to take that first, maybe it's a year, maybe it's two years, mm-hmm. and grind out and do that work for free because yeah. maybe people won't pay for it. Maybe it's not good enough. But you got to keep uh, progressing. At a, cer- progressing. at a certain time, you know, we don't work for free uh, <laughs> at this point. So. Yeah. If you want Kalalu, uh, you're going to have to pay for that. (laughs) Cash out. All right. So, Marjuan, we're we're about to step in. Well, we're about to dive into the dolphin tank. Oh, God. Are you ready for the dolphin tank? I think I'm ready. I mean, there's no sharks in there, you know, so it's okay. I actually love sharks. That's one of my favorite animals. So, 
<laughs> well, we only got dolphins. I'm not in scared. For you. I'm not scared. Oh, okay. Well, what's the forty ounce gonna come out in a second? <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> okay, here we go. Rapid fire. Uh, what's the top tech that you're using to make your business run smoothly right now? My top tech. Can I give a couple? Of course you can. We we need those. Oh my God, QuickBooks. Winning. Yes, yes, yes to QuickBooks. Absolutely. I mean, for the longest, we were just using spreadsheets, <laughs> Google yeah. Google Sheets. Drive. Thank God for my other business partner, Tatiana. She's more of the numbers person. Yeah. So everything is in QuickBooks. All our invoices. It just makes life easy. So easy. Um, I also use Wonderlist. My to-dos, it's just, mm. it's an app. Mm. I mean, I think any type of to-do list is important because um, it manages, it just manages everything by priority that mm. I have to do. Mm-hmm. So um, that and, oh my God, iCalendar or any type of Google Calendar, digital yeah, <laughs> calendar, I try to coordinate you know, on certain days, I only do business work. Mm-hmm. I only, you know, work on financial or um, on certain days, I only do meetings. On other days, it's just creative. And I mean, it's still a challenge, but those like iCalendar is a savior for me. Okay. Favorite quote? See, this was hard because I have a lot of quotes. Give us three. Give us a couple. It's like I have three, but I can't remember fully all of them. So, (laughs) so um, I'll say one quote that is actually my quote. Okay, come on. Come on with it. So, my quote is, if you don't see you in the world, script your story. I like that. And that's something that... um, it's actually on my website. That's why I remembered it. Okay. But it means, you know, no matter what it is that you do, whether you're an artist or, you know, if you're whatever field you're in, mm-hmm. if you're not seeing yourself, if you're not if you're not doing what you want to be doing, mm-hmm. then you have the power to change it and taking taking tiny steps and seeing, you know, where I was a week ago, where I was a month ago, mm-hmm. you have those goals, write it out. And anything that is not getting you to that goal, whether it's relationships, whether it's jobs you take, you got to cut it out and being very real with yourself and where you're at. So I'll say that. Okay. Uh, what, what's your favorite book or a book that you felt has been most impactful on you? Oh, man. I have two. Sula by Toni Morrison and Their Eyes Were Watching God okay. by Zora Neale Hurston. Okay. Okay. Now, this this is a question that nobody can escape to create your life series okay. without answering. Okay. Are you ready for this? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. She got the voice on. <laughs> <laughs> what three things would you tell someone looking to create their best life? Mm. Three things. Okay. The first thing I'd say, be patient. Be patient with yourself. Do the work. Do the work. Um, just to elaborate on that, 
going to school, going, you know, finding a mentor, actually being, doing the work, doing, doing the homework, you know, it's not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Mm-hmm. So really put the time and the work in. Um, and the third thing. Mm. I mean, it's something that I'm still learning myself. Um, really just enjoy where you're at. Enjoy the process. And not to be so hard on yourself. Life is short, you know, so be clear about what it is that you want. And you can't you can't look at other people's achievements and try to measure yourself up to them. You can look at it as uh, inspiration, as, you know, maybe a role model. Like I have a lot of role models, but mm-hmm. I never say I want to be just like this person because what I want to be, and it's taken time for me to accept this, what mm-hmm. I want to be doesn't exist yet. Right. And I like that. And I want to be, I want to be in film. I want to be in TV. I want to be in radio. You know, I, I want to be a mogul. And there are people that I could see myself living a life similar to. Mm-hmm. But what I want to do hasn't been done yet. So I have to embrace that everywhere I go. You never know who you're going to meet. Like, we met each other. <laughs> we yeah. met each other, you know. I mean, on social media, we knew about each other. But in right. person... You know, we met each other in Harlem. Yeah, I was definitely walking past on your a table. warm summer day. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I walked past you, right? On, on 125th, I walked past you. I mean, on, on Lennox Ave, and I walked past and I said, "Oh, that's uh, that's the Callaloo lady." <laughs> and then I'm like, "Do I go and say hello?" She's with a group of people, and I'm like, "That's kind of creepy." But then I'm like, you know what? I know I'm legit, and I know what my intentions are. So I, I turned around, and I just came back, and I was like, hey, look, I'm not trying to be a creep, but, you know, bam, 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 bam. You yeah. know what I mean? And this is like. And here we are. Right. I right. mean, you got to take chances. Yeah. You never know, you know, the worst that could happen is someone say no. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's it. You pick yourself up, and you figure it out, just, mm-hmm. like, just like everyone else did. Mm-hmm. Very true. Okay, so uh, what's what's next for you, uh, the team, and and Callaloo, and you know what's coming what's coming up for Callaloo? Um, we're working on our third book, mm-hmm. so that is dropping in February 2018. Okay. I mean, that's actually going to be our last book uh, for a while. Okay. Um, so that looks at the Gullah, the Gullah history, African American culture. Um, we're Aiming to be on TV, um, a, a home for a network very soon. Um, so we're doing that, and we're building a team in New York to do all of our live shows. So it's a lot happening still with Kalulu. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, um, I'm branching off to do more film work, uh, more producing and directing documentaries and um, narrative work, um, doing more voiceover work. I've spent a long time focusing on Kalulu, so um, I really want to start to branch out and get back to some of my other um, creative passions and um just all those other little projects I have in my little book. Right. So, yeah, that's that's what's next. And a lot of teaching. 
That okay. never stops. So, mm. what do you teach? I mean, I have a nonprofit, right. so um, we work with schools and organizations all over the country to create uh, arts programming for youth of color. So mm-hmm. um, I actually have a girls program called Miss Media that has been my focus. It mm-hmm. actually was something that came out of doing girls, girls, girls. Um, and like I said before, I always had this idea to do it, a youth a, a young woman of color leadership program mm-hmm. um, teaching girls about actual media skills, mm-hmm. um, technical skills. That came from Girls, 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 but it wasn't the right time to do it. So right. now I'm focusing a lot of my time um, to building programs and classes for teenage girls and college girls to learn more about you know, cinematography, journalism, how to craft your own stories through media, mm-hmm. media making. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm partnering with a few organizations to do um, classes and a few upcoming uh, community conferences this okay. year or next year. How do we keep in contact with you and what's going on? Um, the best way is online. Right. Um, I'm on social media, all of the platforms, Facebook, Twitter. I'm not really on Snapchat. I try to, but... Nah. I want to say my life is not that interesting. <laughs> to you. I'm sure some people, it's, it's people on this, on this, uh, let's shout out everybody on hey, IG everybody Live and watching. on Facebook Live, you know, who is actually, some people are amazed by what it is that you do and the life that you live. Yeah, yeah, I mean. We all have success in music. You know a lot mean? of it is all me just, you know. <laughs> sweating trying to figure out <laughs> what's next um right. but yeah i'm on social media at marjuan kennedy and then my website www.marjuancannedy.com um those are the best ways to stay in touch with what's next and that's m-a-r-j-u-a-n-c-a-n-a-d-y right okay and how do, does everyone stay abreast of what's going on with Callaloo and Callaloo, um, same thing. We're on social media at Callaloo, the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on all the platforms. Our website is callaloukids.com. Okay, awesome. Well, uh, Marjuan, thank you so much for being on the Create Your Life series. So happy to have you here today. Thank you. I'm glad we ran into each other and made this happen. It's been it's been a couple months in the making. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, uh, great things take time. So just look at it in that patience. way. Patience. Yes. <laughs> and patience, absolutely. <laughs> And, and we're we relentless, though, so we won't stop. You know? Oh, we're yeah. Gonna, we're going we're gonna to try to track you down. So, yeah, so beautiful people, uh, thank you for listening. Um, beautiful people, uh, this is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown, and we are here in the studio with our guest, Marjan Kennedy, and it is time for the turnaround. If you don't know what the turnaround is, it's when our guest gets to ask me three unfiltered questions, anything that they like, and I have to answer them. Thanks, staff. So, Marjan, are you ready for the turnaround? Yes. Oh, no. Nah, she put that voice on. Yes. It sounds like this is about to get real up in here. I've always wanted to do this. Okay. <laughs> so, first question. What has been your biggest failure? Yike. My biggest failure? Um, I, the only, I won't say failure. I'll say challenge because I feel like if you, the only way you can fail is if you stop. Okay. And Good I think point. that I've had a lot of challenges. Um, wow. So many. So many challenges. Um, I think early on, managing the staff and in, in, in things, it was being overcritical or unnecessarily critical of other people's um, mistakes. 
especially if they were on my team. And, and now I can actually now something big happened the other day uh, that did not go the way that I wanted it. But I was able to constructively offer feedback and actually empower my uh, my colleague to, number one, own what they did solely without trying to be right and also empower them to take an onus and and create an environment where we both understand that excellence is the bare minimum and everything that we do, we operate on it as if it was our, because it is, but it's our name behind that project. Whether or not you mm. get credit for it or anything like that, you have to operate in excellence. Absolutely. So I would say that that was definitely a challenge that I needed to overcome. It's something that I had to grow into. And a lot of things, a lot of challenges that I'm finding that I've had in the past or that I have are all, all boiled down to uh, personal uh, peace. And being at, at peace with myself is definitely on um, these last couple months ha- has been able to help me to see how I can make improvements and helping me to just make life easier and smoother. Sure. So, yeah. Great. Good answer. Good answer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, question two. Mm-hmm. I've actually thought of this as you were talking. Mm-hmm. How has your relationships, your romantic relationships been affected by your dreams, your hustle, your drive. Um, so many times, yeah. um, you know, we're talking about the things that don't work mm-hmm. um, and how much we have to grind out, but how do you balance? So I'll let you answer this in whatever way that you, what you feel comfortable with, but how do you balance your personal romantic life and have your how has your relationships been affected um maybe that's with friends or romantic mm-hmm. um based off of your own aspirations and your own hustle um I'll, I'll preface it by saying that for me you know growing up in foster care from nine months until 18 for many years the only person that i had was myself and the only thing that kept me going was my dreams the things that i felt that um you know, was just looking for a better day. So it's always been that no matter whatever happens, I have my dreams. That's like, that's bae. Um, and um, just for, you know, just on a journey of inner peace, um, I would have to say that definitely it has affected uh, relationships, my grind, because again, it's number one to me and it always has been. Um, but understanding what the end goal is or, or what it is that I want out of life um, in terms of, you know, whether or not I want to be married or I want to have children and, and want to have, you know, that aspect of life as well. Um, I look at it from a different perspective, but in the past it's definitely been like grind first. And I mean, I'm up. Like I remember <laughs> it's just sometimes, you know, you date people and you have a different schedule. Like I'm an right. entrepreneur, right? So I'm up late working and then I'll get up early and work, you know? And so it's kind of like, you know, you might see your, your lady, you know, right before you know you about to go or she's at your place but you're still working up until she's she's falling asleep because she's got to be up and go to work at you know right. at, at nine o'clock or, or whatnot so uh it's definitely affected it um and, and it's just been a growing process i would have to say definitely a growing process definitely i could definitely relate yeah. to all of that yeah. um but i have i will say this that i have had the opportunity to learn what works and what doesn't work for me and i think one of the biggest things for me that like i'll immediately stop dating someone if they ask me 
why do you work so hard or why do you get up at five thirty, six o'clock in the morning every single day to go to the gym or, or you know what I mean? Like, why are yeah. you so disciplined? Why do you work so hard? That's like immediate, like we're not on the same page. You don't, you don't understand this. I mean, we could talk about this for hours. Um, Okay, so my last question. Mm -hmm. This is a deep, deep. This will tell me everything I need to know about you. Okay. Cats or dogs and why? (laughs) What? Cats (laughs) or dogs or another animal. Are you a cat guy, a dog guy? Or another animal or not an animal person? Hold on, in my house? Do you, like, do you prefer cats? Do you prefer dogs? I prefer to grind. Oh, come on. I'm being 100% honest. Like, animals are cool, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, like, here's my thing. You know, I'm the day that you see Kev Brown walking down the street, picking up poop after a dog, you know, you, you're going to have to, I, I done thrown the towel in. Like it's it's over, <laughs> but I will say this though: there, I did date this girl who did have a dog, and I definitely had walked him a few times. Um, I personally, I'm just I'm focused, man. So I, I personally don't have animals at the moment. I, I feel I feel like that's something either I would be in a relationship with somebody and they had an animal, or I would have kids and they would be like, "We want a dog or a cat," and then. Oh, so you could go either way. It doesn't matter to you. Yeah, I'm not really. I mean, you're comfortable with snakes. Oh, no. No. No, 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 no. We ain't never going to have that. that. That is not in my house. Um, but, you know, I do like koalas. Okay. But koalas are, like, really... They're they're, they're pretty vicious, though. I mean, yeah, they're... Yeah, so their claws are really tight. They're cuddly and cute, but... They could snap. I mean, they, that tells me something about your personality. You think so? So here's the yeah. reason why I like them because I just think I think they're, they're. I don't feel like a lot of people know about them, and I have this Monopoly board game that's like the international edition, the credit card version, <laughs> and the oddest um, little icon is the koala. So me and my friends like we'll play when we play comp- competitively. So I was like, all right, well I'm koala. I'm the koala, right? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's random. And then I was like, I'm Koala Kev. So, yeah, just being weird. So that's kind of like how the whole koala thing came about. And I, I feel like there was this one cartoon when I was younger where the koala used to eat eucalyptus, like cotton candy cones. It was random. And then I went to Australia and, you know. So that's, that might be your inner animal, your inner yeah, so. spirit animal. Nah. My <laughs> inner spirit is definitely, it depends on what part of the spirit we're talking about. <laughs> You know what I mean? So it, it, it's layered. It's, it's uh, multidimensional, as okay. we were talking about earlier. All right. Yeah. What about you? Cat, dog? Oh, I'm mouse? a dog. I'm a dog person. How oh, many dogs you got? I'm terrified of mice. I actually don't have any dogs. I had a dog um, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago and he passed. He was old. But I dog sit quite a bit. So, <laughs> <laughs> so people in my neighborhood, like probably once a month, they'll see me with a different dog. They're yeah. all my friends' dogs, but. My friends would want me to watch them for a day or two, and I'll keep them yeah. for a couple of weeks. Well, if you cause... if you got a dog today, what would you name it? Oh man, I, I don't I don't know. Uh, you put me on the spot. Maybe like Bruno or <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, my uh, my last I don't know. My last dog, his name was Cosmo. Okay. I feel like. Animals shouldn't have human names, like okay. real, you know, yeah. regular names. I think. Mm-hmm. What's your the cat's name? Daddy Fat Stacks. 
That's look, Daddy Fat Sacks is on this show now. He's famous. <laughs> right, right, super famous. Daddy Fat Sacks and Getty. Okay. Well, there there is a cat in the in the uh, in the building that I live in. And her, her name is Barbara. I just see her from time to time. So yeah, that that kind of creeps me out when animals have human names. I'm just <laughs> I, I'm just passing through. I, what's up, cat? Keep me pushing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all good, you know. She she's you know pretty animal. Uh, all right, well, Marjuan, thank you so much for uh, for playing the turnaround. Thank you. You were very honest. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. Beautiful people, if you enjoyed this episode of the Create Your Life series, be sure to download it from our podcast, which is available on createyourlifeseries.com, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Music. Also, be sure to leave a review of the podcast. You can catch us live on Sundays from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time via 90.3 FM in New York or on Facebook Live at facebook.com backslash kevbrown1. We encourage you to participate in the conversation on Facebook or call in at 212-650-6903. Follow us on Instagram at CYL Series and at Kevin Y. Brown. Be blessed, and we'll see you back here live next week. Create your life. 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 Create your life.